Good morning. Just a second to get my coffee situated. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Did you have a good week? Mine's been something else. It's probably like yours. I've had some high points and some low points, right? <laughs> Guys, I'm excited about the passage we're going to talk about this morning. It's one of those passages that you have heard before. Um, it's one of the passages um, that you have been taught before or preached to before. It's just a very common passage, but it, it's one of those passages of scripture that like if you if you don't really dig, it's really easy to walk away from it with just a very surface level understanding of what's happening. It's, it's the kind of verse that is so powerful, but like it's really easy to like think, wow, that is really meaningful until you leave church and then it is less meaningful. Like you don't really think about it. You're thinking about going to Cabela's like my son Silas is. Or you're thinking about, you know, going to get something to eat, you know, or the donuts in the lobby. Like, are there any left for after church? You know, <laughs> um, I think that thought all the time. Um, but the passage we're going to jump into, you can go ahead and turn there in your Bible or on your phone. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. What we're looking at in this series that CJ's already been in is we're looking at the, the, the early church, the earliest church, like the first church. Like these are the first people to hear the gospel and to, and to come together in community and to go out on mission and do this thing we call church, right? These are the first people to do it. And it's, it's so exciting to read the book of Acts, one of the things I really get from the book of Acts is, is, is what it was like for people who came from a completely different world with a completely different set of ideals to hear a gospel. They'd never heard anything like it before. And to see how it transformed their life, to see the freshness of it, because I live in America, right? I've, I've seen, and I mean, I'm also 43, okay, so... Maybe me more than you, depending on how young you are. I encountered Christianity in America from the earliest days. I've heard it, man. I went to VBS. You know, I helped my mom do VBS. You know, I heard the stories. You know, and so I had, I had an understanding. And, and, and in a way, there, there was, wasn't the, the freshness always of, of understanding the word and what it really meant. Like, what does the cross really mean for me, other than something I believe in? Right? And the, and, and the more you grow in your faith, the more you realize that the gospel is not something you believe in. It's something that transforms you when you really understand how incredible it is. So without preaching my message from, at the beginning... Let's just jump in and read it. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. <clears throat> it says this, They, the early church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to 
the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple court. They're having church every day. (laughs) Every day. They were in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I want you just to imagine for yourselves that this is you. Okay? Do your best to take yourself out of your middle class American life and put yourself in this position where you have either been living under the law or you have been living under the insanity of the pantheon, a bunch of gods who don't know what the heck they're doing. And this is your life. And, and, and maybe you're Jewish, you know, like you're worshiping every day in the temple courts. But you know what? Like Jesus was just crucified. This is a place of mixed emotion for them. The temple courts. I mean, it was a real thing. It was like, man, I, you know, if they were Jewish, it's like, man, I grew up going to this place and learning to revere Yahweh here. But not so long ago, the Savior of the world was crucified by these folks. By the Romans at the initiation of these folks. I mean, it was real. It was life and death. It was like raw. And guys, this is what we miss sometimes in our faith now is the rawness of it. The gospel seems so convenient. It's just just packaged for us in whatever way we feel like having it packaged for us. And I find in my life sometimes the rawness is real. So where did this rawness come from for them? The, the The big idea in understanding where this passage intersects with our lives is is the why question. Why? Why? This is a passage every Christian loves. We read it. It's a scenario that we all want for ourselves. (laughs) Right? And I'm not just saying this to to blow smoke. You know, I won't go that whole phrase I'm preaching. But (laughs) I'm not going to give you a compliment you don't deserve, you know. But, um, guys, we have a lot of great community here. I've been places where there was less of it. <laughs> you know, but we all read that passage, and it's, it's like a woman reading Proverbs 31. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, parts of that, that's me, and parts of me, you know, that that's not me, you know. It can be encouraging and discouraging to read a passage like that. If you're like me, you're like, wow, I love that. I want I want church to be like that. And then I think, oh, here's the ways my church is like that. And then I think, oh, here's the ways that we're not. And wouldn't it be nice if we were? Some people even use this passage when they're coming at the leaders of their church to say, look what we're not. Look what you're not doing right. This passage is probably used to condemn people as much as it's used to encourage people. You know? Probably the same with Proverbs 31. 
You know, some wives give that, some, some husbands give that to their wives in a card and say, this is you, babe, you are the perfect woman. And there's a bunch of uh, misogynistic uh, religious idiots out there who probably say, look what you're supposed to be. God has a work to do in us. We read this passage. It can be used to condemn. It can be used to make us feel bad. It can be used to encourage us, but more times than not, nobody reads this and thinks, this is what I have. This is, this is completely what my church looks like, <laughs> right? We use it sometimes to point the finger. So the why. I'm going to break the why down into two things. Number one, I think the early church became aware of God. Aware of God in a way that they weren't before. The first thing they were aware of about God is the greatness of God. I want to give us a little context here that maybe the early church understood that we don't understand. I want to read a couple passages maybe you wouldn't expect me to read. One of them is Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. If you want to turn there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, this word for creation is not, it's, 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 it's the word for a craftsman who takes something and makes something out of it. That's what it means. It's a carver. It's, a, it's someone who makes pots. It's, it's a craftsman who crafts something together. In the beginning, God crafted the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Guys, this is like a passage of Scripture that we read, and we're like, wah, 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 Like, we don't know what it means, and so we just kind of go over it real fast. Like, what does that mean? Formless and void, and the Spirit hovering over the surface of the deep. Here's what it means, and this is just a little morsel, okay, that's going somewhere, Okay. This term in Hebrew for formless and void is only used one other time in the entire Bible. And it's used for the destruction of, Babylon, of, Israel, of Jerusalem by the Babylonians. After Jerusalem was destroyed, it was formless and void. It was destroyed. It's a Hebrew term for a destroyed thing. Okay? And this whole thing of the Spirit hovering over the surface of the deep. So in the very beginning, not of all stories, but our story, God formed a giant mud ball, (laughs) a destroyed thing, into something new. And this idea of God hovering over the surface of the deep, do you know what that means? In the ancient world, they thought water was evil. Do you know why they thought water was evil? Because it was chaotic. Because it couldn't be controlled. In our culture, we think of right, we think of evil and good as equated with right and wrong. A list of good things, a list of bad things. In the ancient world, evil was a lack of order. And water was chaotic. And so what this is saying to us is that the world was a destroyed thing. It had become a ball of mud, and God was having to hold this chaotic thing together as he began to form it into something new. That's what it's saying. It gives whole new meaning to Jesus walking on water and calming the storm, right? 
he wasn't just controlling the, you know, the natural resource. He was showing them that he could take the chaotic and bring it under control. Right? So what does this tell us? We tend to read Genesis chapter 1 as the beginning of God's story, and it's not the beginning of God's story. It's the beginning of our story. And you can put this in your pipe and smoke it, but we begin to do things like date dirt when Genesis tells us that the dirt was here before we were. That's what Genesis tells us. We are not the first thing God ever did. God did not sit around in holy boredom just waiting for humanity to be created for all of eternity. In the same way, listen to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 21 verse 1. It says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the older things have passed away. Here's the interesting thing about the Bible, guys. Genesis 1 starts like the ending of a story. But we don't know what came before. And Revelation ends like the beginning of a new story. And we get a look into what that looks like, but we, there's more we don't know than we know. That's for sure. And why am I telling you this? Because the Bible teaches us about the eternality of God, the bigness of God. Sometimes we take the personal aspect of God, how God's involved in my life, and we begin to see God as very small, even though we begin to see him as intimate, which is good. But guys, God has been around forever. We ain't the only thing he's ever done. There is an eternity past and an eternity future. And there is only one God involved in all of it. He's so great, we can't even think about how great he is. He's done so many things, we can't even begin to think about the number of things that he's done. It's incredible. There's not a, a bunch of gods up there who don't know how to make up their own mind, who don't know what they stand for at any given moment. We're not at the mercy and whim of some finite gods. And for the Jew, the Jewish person of this time, we're, we're, not, we're not following a tyrant. A God whose head is just all wrapped up in what rules we follow and what rules we break. That's not who he was to them either. That's just how they saw him. But we serve an eternal God who created all things. He created us. He, he formed the world out of a giant mud ball. I don't know what was here before that. Something was. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Listen to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 66, verse 1. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 1. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. I love this because I have a footstool and I like it. <clears throat> Where's the house you will build for me? 
Where will my resting place be? This is God talking to them. Very sarcastic. God has a sarcastic side. Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. Here's a God so great. We don't understand his beginning. We don't understand. There's no beginning. We don't understand the end. We get a glimpse into things. He's so great. He created all things, things we don't even know about. And he talks about this grandiose world that, is, that, that we live in. He says, that's like a footstool to me, man. You know, you guys go to church or, you know, in the Old Testament, they served in a temple. God didn't live there. We don't impress God. <laughs> we don't provide for God. Do you know God didn't create you to give him something? There's nothing you can give him he can't give himself. Nothing. He created you to give you something you didn't have. His love. That's the point. It's a revolutionary thought. And I'm telling you all this because I want you to think about what it would have been like to hear that for the first time. All you knew before was the rules. All you knew before was this, all of these gods, and you didn't know what the future held or what the purpose was. Your thought would be, why would a God that big do anything for me? Why would a God that big ever even think about me. They became aware of the greatness of God. And then they became aware of the nearness and the love of God. I'm going to read another verse you all know super well. <laughs> John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, this mud ball he created into something new and all these people that he put on here not to get something from them but to give them something they didn't have he loved them for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whew, guys, a God so big, why would he even think about me? To hear for the first time that God created you in love, sacrificed himself to overcome your adversity and my sin, so that we could spend eternity with him. It's a revolutionary truth. Here's, here's the timeline for all of humanity. You ready? This is our story. My handwriting's awful. Creation. Preparation. Okay, this is the law. You know, some of the Greek Christians that came to, to serve Christ in the first century said that philosophy was the tutor that led the Greeks to the Lord in the way that the law was the tutor that led the Jews to the Lord. But the law was, that's all it was, guys. The entire Old Testament was just preparation. 
for this. The cross. Galatians and Romans teaches us that the law was there to show us we couldn't do it. Anybody, Jesus, <laughs> you remember the rich young ruler? I mean, anybody who was walking around being like, I have fulfilled the law. Jesus was like, you idiot. Of course you have not fulfilled the law. If you lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. If you've hated in your heart, you've committed murder. Jesus is like, look, this isn't about these little surface level laws, man. It's about your heart and you won't get there. It's preparation for the cross. That's the whole, this has always been the point of human history. Which leads us to the now and to eternity. That looks like Yao. <clears throat> All this preparation for the cross. And this is the zone you and I are in right now. The now. Where Jesus has come. God's purpose has been revealed. And this mighty, mighty, and almighty great God has been brought near to us. I can't imagine living in a world where the law was the only way to get to God. But in this world, many people just, in the ancient world, many people just experienced tyranny on earth, tyranny in heaven, and that's the only thing they expected. But the cross changed all of that. But you know, maybe you've, maybe you've seen God as a tyrant in heaven. Yeah. Maybe there's a part of you that looks at God and says, you know what, I, maybe I just don't match up. Maybe I just don't fulfill the obligations. Maybe what God wants from me are those obligations to be met. For me to do A, B, and C. For me to do the right thing and never do the wrong thing. If that's what you think now, I hope you're hearing something different now. Because <laughs> it's not true. God showed his love by sending his son. But these first Christians, for the very first time, were becoming aware that God was great, that God was good, that God loved them, that God had a purpose for their lives. Listen to Jeremiah 29, verse 11, another passage we know really well. It says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. Okay, and then he goes on to talk about how when you turn to God, that they, the Israelites, could be returned back from the captivity they had gone into into Babylon. Okay? So I've heard Christians say, this verse doesn't apply to you. They're wrong. <laughs> this verse does apply to you. <clears throat> was Jeremiah writing to people who were in exile? Absolutely. But was Jeremiah writing to a people in exile about the character and nature and relation of God to his creation, to his people? Yes. He was proclaiming a promise older than Jeremiah 29, 11 to God's people that when we turn to God, 
He rescues us from wherever we are. And listen, wherever you are this morning, I don't know. Things may look awesome on the outside. I don't know what's going on in your heart. But wherever it is, whatever it is, God can rescue you from it. He just wants you to turn to Him. To be rescued. What gets us in trouble is when we refuse to ask for help. God will never make us get help. He lets us choose. I remember, guys, the first time I heard that passage of Scripture, I was a brand new Christian. Just had a a radical experience in my life. Coming to know the Lord. I was sitting in New Century Community Church that was meeting at the Marriott Hotel in Roanoke, Virginia. And Dr. J. Owens read this verse and talked about how it applied to God having a plan for my life. And I remember sitting there thinking to myself, really? For me? Like, like I, had, I literally had heard it for the first time. For me? A plan? A future? I just, I didn't even know. And that, it changed the course of my life, just being told there's a purpose, Bill. And God, God has a purpose for you. As great as he is, he's got a purpose for you. And there was a sense of gratitude. So in this first church, this awareness of God's greatness, this awareness of, of the nearness of God, of the love of God, fueled what came next. They had an awareness of one another. An awareness of one another. Here's the things they valued, okay? <laughs> teaching. Okay, they, they valued the apostles' teaching. They valued learning. For, for them to have someone preach or teach or talk to them about the Bible, they were like, this is such incredible news. I, I, I want to know more. 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 They were hungry to know more. They were hungry to know as much of the Bible as they could possibly know. They wanted to know more about the gospel as they could possibly know. They just wanted to know more. So they were getting together every day because they wanted to know more. They valued fellowship. They valued hanging out together. You know, I was reading this and I was thinking about when I was a kid, my parents moved a whole lot. You know, and I remember moving to a new neighborhood. I'm like unsure about what's going to go on. Oftentimes, like, people are unsure when you come to know Christ and you don't know what goes on in a Christian community, you know. And I'd be out in the front yard unpacking boxes and my eyes would be like CIA radar looking for other kids in the neighborhood. You know what I mean? Like, I, every movement of a squirrel, like, the corner of my eye would just look for somebody on a bike, you know. Like, is that a person? And when I would see other kids in the neighborhood, it's like everything would change. I'd be so excited. Right? To make that friend, to have that connection. To not be alone in that place. And that's what they were excited about. They were in a persecuted time. They had just encountered the truth of God for the first time. And now, and they didn't know where that was going to take them. But they knew that they had other people. They weren't in it alone. And they were excited about it. They wanted to take communion every day. They just wanted to be around each other. 
They wanted to, and it says that they, they took communion regularly, or the Lord's Supper, which is just to say that they wanted to be intentional to reflect on the cross. That they understood how important the gospel was. They understood that in the world they lived in, that if they lost touch with what Jesus did for them, they wouldn't know where to be. They wouldn't know what to do. They needed it. They needed the reminder of the gospel. So that's one of the things they did when they were hanging out together. And they valued prayer, just talking to God. Right? I won't get in there a whole lot. We'll have a sermon on prayer. We've had some, right? You know, but just talking to God, they valued that. They, they just came to know him. This was their list of priorities. Teaching, fellowship, communion, and prayer. This is what they wanted. This is what they were after, after they encountered the great God who loved them. And here, guys, I love this. Those things became the fuel in their lives that led to a lifestyle. They didn't have a list of here's the things you need to do. They had a natural outpouring of things that happened in them and through them because they were drawing closer to God. Through the gospel, here's what they were. Acts 2 tells us they were generous. They were generous with their stuff. I mean, they were sharing, literally sharing all their stuff. I'm not ready for that. Don't ask me to. No, I'm just kidding. But they were generous with their time. Generous with their love. Here's one of the things we hold back on loving people. We, we give people a certain amount of room. I, I'm so guilty of this. But we're not generous with our love for people. But they were generous. They were grateful. They had gratitude, it tells us. They were joyful. Sometimes I forget what joy is. Like joy seems too happy of a word to use. Let's just say happy, right? But joy just seems giddy. When's the last time you felt giddy? I don't know. Might have been today. But they were feeling joyful in the midst of all the crap they were dealing with. They had joy. They were expectant, it says. They were like, you know what? This great God's on my team. <laughs> like, he's, he's, we're on his team. We're, we're doing his work. He's here with us. We're close to him. He's doing stuff. People were getting healed. Lives were being changed. Dead people were getting raised. And they expected it to happen, guys. As a Baptist-affiliated church, we are terrible at being expected. We think we've got God nailed down. We know what He will do. We will fast and pray for a building campaign because we want to change people's hearts. But we're not really expecting a miracle. so manipulative <laughs> but they expected a miracle and they got them that's right so we're about to be back to gospel <laughs> God still God still raises the dead God still heals the sick God still delivers people addicted to drugs God still changes life we have to expect he wants us to expect it. He doesn't want us just to be pitiful and sad. Oh, God, maybe you could. He wants us to be expectant that he will. We've become too comfortable with God. We expect him to do what we expect him to do, but God doesn't work inside our head. 
He wants us to be relational. And listen, this is very important. As a result of these things, the church became different. It wasn't a method. It wasn't manipulation. It wasn't playing the slow song at the altar call. It was a life of Christ being lived out that drew people in. I mean, what are you going to do when you're surrounded by people who are generous, grateful, joyful, expectant? And, and generous, not just with their means, but with their hearts. Guys, this, this is the... the <laughs> this is the way to grow your church. It's not a method. It's a transformation expressed through the giving. Not contrived behavior. But lives changed because of the love of God. This is what they understood about life. to do my very best. A stick drawing is generous filling. Okay, I'm being generous with you. This is an island. Okay? And we're going to call this island the kingdom of God. This is, this is, uh, this is me. Put your belly on there. This is my son Corbin. Alright? Here's CJ. <laughs> you know, we can just draw everybody on here. Believers are on this island. Okay? This is the firm footing that the gospel gives us. Off of this island is water. It is chaotic. It is very chaotic. It is not controlled unless the Lord control it. And out here you've got things like fear. Right? Circumstances. Addiction. COVID-19. Right? You can just list all the things that the world is really upset about. Or the troubling things in the world that nobody's upset about because they're ignorant and that they should be upset about. Right? They don't always, people who are lost don't always know that they're living in fear, but they are every single day. Right? It's at your job. Am I good enough? <laughs> is this being noticed or not noticed? It's in your relationships. Who's mad at me? Why are they mad at me? There's fear everywhere in the world around you. It's chaotic. We still deal with COVID-19. This boy here double vaxxed. I'm going to get the third one as soon as I can, okay? Right? We still live in the world where this is going on, but I am not afraid of it. I'm not being controlled by it. I'm not even being controlled by the U.S. government, <laughs> okay? I'm on this, this here. The firm footing of the gospel of God. And over the people who are on this island is this bubble. We're going to call this the Romans 8.28 bubble. Okay. Here's what Romans 8.28 says. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Who have been called according to his purpose. And then it goes on. I won't read the whole thing because I'm going late. But <laughs> it goes into talking about our chosenness and God's foreknowledge and our calling. Right? And then it goes into talking about, you got to read it. Okay, go back and read the rest of it. But it talks about 
how neither death nor life or anything in life can separate us from the love of God and that we are more than conquerors because of the love of God. You see, when we're walking in the purposes of God, we have a different existence from everyone else. Right? If you're not on the island, if you're not in the kingdom of God, then this promise of God working all things together for good, it does not apply to you. It doesn't apply to you. You live in fear and you have every reason to. Because you actually are at the mercy of all the things I could list here. But as a believer, my now, because of the cross, is my security in Christ and the promise that he has a plan for me. Not to harm me, but to give me a hope and a future. And I don't ever have to be afraid of the things lurking in the water because I'm not there. I can have joy, gratitude, I can be generous, I can be expectant, and all the while, I can reach out for people who are in the water. And this is how the church works. And this is God's greatness. This is how the great God showed his love to a world full of broken people to draw him to himself so that we could live this kind of life and so that we could call God's love for the rest of the world present world so that nobody would have to know the fear in their life. Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful for your love this morning. We're thankful for, God, that even though you're so great, you're mindful of us. You love us. And God, I pray that you would just make the truth of that love real. God, that the work of the cross would be fresh in our minds and hearts. That it would be raw, that it would offend us where we need to be offended. God, that we would just live in the light of the cross in a way that makes us people who are generous and joyful and grateful and intentional to reach out to the lost world around us. God, we are praying for revival at the fold, for revival in Greenville, and we pray that you would use us. God, mold us into the people we need to be to be effective and reaching the ones that you love and help us to live in your love every day. In Jesus' name.